Hey friends, welcome to my podcast, Straight Talk with Celine. God's redemption over my life has led to many radical changes in me. One gift God has given me is a hunger for his word and a passion to share it with you. The Bible tells us all we need to know about God, but it also tells us all we need to know about ourselves, and we fail to open it and learn these great truths. A burden that weighs heavy on me is that many professing Christians don't know their identity in Christ. So join me now as we walk through God's word and learn who we are in Christ so we can step into all he's called us to be. Welcome back to Straight Talk with Celine, week 15 of this Who is Jesus series. We are back and today we continue our journey through the hard teachings of Jesus. And just a brief recap of what we've covered this season. We're 14 episodes down. We've walked through the Old and New Testament. We identified the beautiful portrait of Jesus weaved throughout We walk through uh, the Beatitudes from Matthew 5, and we allow Jesus to teach us what a kingdom citizen looks like. We discussed the hard topic of money. We walk through Matthew 7, and we we saw all of those choices that Jesus gave us. He he gave us the two paths. He he talked about the two trees, the two declarations, the the two builders. And not only did Jesus give us a a choice to make, but he, he told us what to choose. Jesus told us to be wise and, and take the narrow road. He, he told us to be the good tree and produce good fruit. He, he told us to not be one who just says they follow him, but actually lives out their faith. He, he told us to be authentic doers of his word. He, he told us to build our lives on him, the solid rock of, of Jesus. And doing this would not only help us survive uh, the storm, the guaranteed storms of life, but also this would help us establish a lasting legacy. But with all the wisdom that Jesus gave us, one thing is clear. You and I have choices to make. And in our choices, they, they have a significant impact on our lives here on this earth as well as, as eternally. And we then went to John 6 and when we looked at the feeding of the multitudes and we saw the multitudes uh, desert Jesus. And why did they desert him? Well, he taught hard stuff. And when things got hard, people abandoned him. We, we looked at the three would-be followers from Luke 9, where Jesus challenged them to really think about the cost of following him. And the overarching question that we came away with was, do you really want to follow Jesus? And we then walked through Mark 8, and we looked at what Jesus said about the two selves that compete with each other. The old self that, that chases the world, and then the new self that gives up everything to follow and chase Jesus. And Jesus, again, makes it clear that if, if we're going to deny ourselves, we're going to take up our cross and, and follow him. He, he is going to have to be uh, central in our lives. He, he's going to have to, to really have our entire hearts. And we then unpack Matthew 5.48 when Jesus said that we're to be perfect as, as our heavenly father is perfect. We highlighted the, the importance of the lifelong pursuit of, of perfection, which essentially is the journey of sanctification. The pursuit of, of holy living. And we learn what it means not to fear man, but to fear God. We looked into the importance of this because if we're honest, we all tend to fear people and their opinions and, and what they're, they can do to us much more than we, than we fear God. And, and we end up neglecting our calling as followers of Christ. We looked at John 13 and 14. We allowed Jesus to show us why we shouldn't have troubled hearts in this life. It's all because of him. All because he came and he paved the way for us. And knowing this leads us to rest in the finished work of the cross. Guys, Jesus is the way, he's the truth, he's the life. And his spirit resides in you and I. And he guides us and he comforts us. And it enables us to complete the mission here on earth as we wait for him to return. And then we took this deep dive into the topic of hell and and we saw how, how we are to grieve for the lost. Why? Because... We see the reality of hell and we know what it means for those who refuse Christ, for those who live and stay in in lostness. And that was a tough episode, man. And then last week we dug into John 15 and we found out what it means to to truly abide in Christ, to remain in Christ. We wrestled with the question, which branch are you? Which which branch am I? I Am I the the fruitful branch or am I the fruitless branch? And today we jump back in. And the question I have for us to answer today is, does the world hate Jesus and his church? 
I mean, because on the surface, when we think about the world's hatred for Jesus, many say this is not the case. Many would say that Jesus was a good man. He was a good moral teacher. He, he did many amazing things. I mean, most believe he was sinless and he was wrongly accused and he was crucified. So on the surface, when we hear this, most would agree that Jesus was loved by many and it, it was really the few that came after him and wanted him dead. But there's this section of text in the Bible that Jesus touches on that leads me to believe otherwise. The world doesn't hate Jesus. Why did he speak the words from John 15, 18 through 25? Well, why did Jesus say, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. If the world doesn't hate Jesus and his church, then why are Christians in many parts of the world subjected to extreme persecution? I mean, why are Christians looked down upon? Why are they mocked and ridiculed? Why are they marginalized? I mean, it's becoming clear that Christians who desire to live by their biblical convictions are starting to be ostracized, starting to be demonized, even becoming ineligible for certain careers. For example, opposition to gay marriage is absolutely a biblical position. We as Christians, we must stand up for this. But here's the deal. If a Christian stands firm against this, any career that, that might possibly touch gay marriage is becoming off limits. All of a sudden, you're demonized. I mean, there are places in the world where Christian bakers and florists and venue owners and, and government officials are being fined and even jailed for attempting to live by their biblical convictions. Christian beliefs are, are being presented in an extremely biased manner. Like the belief that homosexuality is sinful is presented as hatred for homosexuals, which is so far from the truth. The belief that abortion is wrong is, is portrayed as hatred towards women. Again, which is so far from the truth. Christians proclaiming the, the biblical way to salvation are, are, are declared to be intolerant, even hostile towards other belief systems. And you got, you know, Christians who are desiring to train their children in a biblical worldview are seen uh, as, as brainwashers. So, so we're guilty of brainwashing our children. And you see how insane this is? Guys, standing for Christ in America is becoming a real problem. And, and there is something to this. But here's the reality, guys. Hatred for Jesus and his church, it's real. It's increasing. And according to the Bible, it's going to get much worse as end times approach. Ultimately, hatred for Christ and his church, it's satanically driven. Satan hates God. And as the God of this world, he controls this evil world system that hates God and his followers. If you don't see this now, you're going to see this by the end of the episode because that is what I need you to understand. Last week, we camped out in the beginning of John 15, and today we remain in John 15 as, as we finish this chapter. And as I mentioned last week, this is the Thursday night of Passion Week. Jesus had gathered with the 12 to celebrate the Passover on this Thursday night. It was a secret place called the Upper Room where, where they would share this Passover meal, where the Lord Jesus would spend this time telling the 12 many wonderful things. He gave them so many promises. But as the night progressed, some things took a turn. You know, Jesus exposed Judas as the betrayer and then dismissed him. At this moment, Judas left and, and he went to meet the leaders of Israel who had been plotting against Jesus since really day one of, of his ministry. Judas went out to arrange the arrest of our Lord Jesus, which ultimately would lead to Jesus's crucifixion. So by the time we come to John 15, understand Judas isn't there. Only the 11 are left and they are the true disciples. They are the fruitful branches. But as we come to John 15, we must notice that we are no longer in the upper room because Jesus tells the 11 this at the end of John 14, rise, let us go from here. So at this point, Jesus and the 11 rise and they leave the upper room and they begin their walk through Jerusalem. They head out of the east side of the city towards the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus would be arrested. But at this moment, they're walking and Jesus is still teaching. He, he, he's still pouring in. He's still telling his disciples all they need to know. Loving them until the end. I mean, Jesus had already talked to them about abiding in him. He implored them not to be like Judas and to remain. He, he told them to be fruitful branches. Jesus had just spoken about his great love for them. He loved them so much that he would lay down his life for them. And then he expected them to, to go and do the same. And then we come to this section of, of the scripture from John 15, verses 18 through 25. And Jesus begins to warn his disciples of the world's hatred 
for him and what this meant for them. And here's what Jesus said. Open to John 15, 18 through 25. It says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on the account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. And now they have no excuse for sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. And now they've seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. So I've been telling you that this evening, this Thursday evening, the last evening our Lord spent with his disciples celebrating the Passover had been really an evening like no other. Up to this point, it had been an evening of love. This evening started off with an expression by Jesus that John recorded. John said, Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to perfection. He loved them to the end, to maximum capacity. And this night had been dominated by love. It was an amazing night. But now all of a sudden, in a dramatic shift, it turns from love to hate. And if you notice in the text I just read from John 15, 18 through 25, the word hate is used repeatedly in this passage. Again and again and again, the word hate is used. And I understand that hate is a strong word, and I fully believe it is intended to be a strong word. Jesus was very intentional here. This is a very, very powerful and important chunk of text. Essentially, essentially Jesus is promising the 11 persecution as, as a result of hatred. He tells them and, and all who would follow after him that this is to be expected. All who plan on carrying the true banner of Christianity, hey, you're going to be hated by the world. And obviously this, this began with the hatred of Christ himself. They hated him so much that they killed him. And it wouldn't take long for that hatred to transfer to the 11 and all followers after them. So I think we take a moment and just, just briefly look at church history. The church was born in Acts 2. And in Acts 3, Peter preaches a sermon and many are saved. By Acts 4, the apostles are arrested and put in jail by the Jewish authorities. Acts 5 tells us they're put in jail again. This time after they've been flogged. And then in Acts 6, we start to meet some of the believers in the early church by name. One of them, well-known Stephen. In Acts 7, he's stoned to death by a mob led by Saul of Tarsus after a false trial before the Jewish high court, the Sanhedrin. And we turn to Acts 8, and general persecution breaks out against all believers, which was spearheaded by that same man, Saul of Tarsus. It was Saul who, who set out to, to champion this idea of destroying Christianity. And this led to the church scattering all over the, all over the region. And then we see in Acts 9, this same man, Saul, who was radically uh, trying to wipe out Christianity, he has this radical encounter with the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he immediately converts from, from Christian killer to a follower of Christ. One of the most radical encounters, radical uh, uh, stories that you'll ever hear in the Bible. The scripture says that he immediately faces threats and persecution from the very Jews in Damascus where he was converted. A few days prior, he was best friends with these people. Within days, they're trying to kill him. And so much so, he flees to Arabia for some time. It says, you know, maybe 10, 12 years. But the persecution doesn't stop there. Okay, by Acts 12, Jesus' first apostle is murdered. John's brother, James, was beheaded by King Herod. And in this same chapter, King Herod imprisons Peter and holds him until he would find the appropriate time to execute him. See, Peter was next in line to be executed, but Peter, the scriptures say he was set free by an angel. And persecution continued, and we know from history that all of Jesus' apostles were martyred, with, it, with the exception of, of the apostle John, who was, was exiled to the island of Patmos, Patmos, where he died of old age. And the first persecutors of the Christians that were the Jews, who saw Christians um, as heretics. They hated these Christians, and they wanted them all destroyed. And they, they believed, truly in their hearts, that they were ridding Christians off the planet in the name of God. And Jesus told his disciples to expect this. In John 16, 2, he said, these people will make you outcast. 
The hour is coming when everyone will kill you thinking that they're doing good. So it started with the Jews, but this same idea has infiltrated the world. I mean, think of radical Muslims who think that in the name of their God, they're, they're doing God a service by, by killing Christians, by, by slaughtering Christians. They really believe that in their hearts. So as we move through the book of Acts, we see that the gospel began to spread into the Mediterranean despite the Mediterranean world, despite the persecution. And in the Mediterranean world, the Gentiles, they were in control. And it wouldn't take long before the Gentile world follows suit and comes against Christians. It would be the Romans who would keep this persecution going for roughly, I mean, I think it was about 300 years. And this wasn't just some rejection and, and mocking and maybe a little ridicule. Guys, it was extreme. It was heinous and brutal treatment. The persecution of the early church was really hard to comprehend. And one reason for this persecution, it was political. In this day, guys, Caesar was Lord. And Christians would not acknowledge this. They wouldn't bow. Why? Well, because Jesus was Lord. And allegiance to Jesus as Lord caused Christians many problems. It was disloyalty to the state. And to Rome, this was considered treason. And not only this, but Christians refused to offer sacrifices to Caesar on occasions when they were required to. I mean, guys, Christians were seen as traitors. Christians were also seen as, as, as some kind of revolutionaries because they kept talking about another king and another kingdom. Guys, their, their king was Jesus and his kingdom was the kingdom of God. And to make it worse, Christians would avoid being harassed by the Roman authorities by meeting in, in secret places uh, at night. They called house churches. And these secret meetings, these house churches, only raised even greater suspicion of their disloyalty. I mean, the Roman authorities became paranoid of the fact that these Christians might be trying to start some kind of revolution, particularly among the slave class where, where Christianity had really penetrated. And not only were there, were there political reasons, but, but there were social reasons also. The Romans, they were afraid that Christians had a strong influence among the poor people and that fits what the Bible says. The Bible says not many mighty, not many noble. God has chosen the weak. He's chosen the poor. He's chosen the nobodies and the nothings. It's Paul who says that in 1 Corinthians 1. It's the lower classes. They weren't listening. They weren't listening to, to the Roman authorities. They were, they were listening to the, these Christians. And not only were they listening to Christians, but so were the, the Roman authorities. They didn't like it. And they were so afraid that this was going to cause a, like a, a revolt among, amongst the slave class. And then you have to take into account all the social events of the Roman world. Roman culture was, was known to partake in social festivals that were, were all tied to, to idol worship. Orgies and drunkenness were, were a few of the things that took place at these festivals. And Christians refused to take part in it. They, they refused idolatrous temple worship and so they isolated themselves from social life. They stayed in their lane, and this, this infuriated the Roman authorities. So Christians were alienated and, and isolated from political life, and they were alienated and isolated from the social life. And we add to that that these people were living pure and righteous lives, which was a, a constant and, um, and personal rebuke to the debauchery of the Roman world. In other words, the light that these Christians lived in was just a constant indictment and judgment on the darkness that the Roman society lived in. Hence why they were enemy number one. Economically, Christians were, were bad for business. Christian preachers and teachers, uh, they brought the gospel and the gospel delivered people from demons and that was bad for the demon business. Yes, there were demon-possessed mediums and witches and soothsayers and, and fortune tellers and they made a lot of money casting out demons. And we see one example in Acts 16 when, when Paul called a demon out of a woman and these men had Paul and his crew beaten and arrested and thrown into prison. All because the Holy Spirit used them to free this woman from this oppressive bondage. I mean, you think this would be a good thing, right? But it wasn't. These men could no longer use this woman to make money. So in their anger, in their hatred, these men had Paul and his crew beaten and flogged and, and thrown into prison. And then in, in Acts 19, you see Christians were bad for the idol business because people would, would come to Christ and then they would burn their idols. This was, this was bad for idol sales. 
As people came to Christ, the demand for these idols became less and less, and this infuriated the sellers. Christians were, for all these reasons, and and so many more reasons, a threat. They were truly aliens living in this Roman world. They didn't conform. They didn't integrate. There was no blending in. They existed in the Roman world in complete isolation from the system, but they affected it. They were in the world, but not of the world. And for this, Christians were blamed for everything. All the plagues, all the famines, all the natural disasters. Christians were even blamed when Rome was intentionally burned to the ground by Nero in 64 AD. Why? Pure hatred for Christ and what he stood for. And for this, all Christians became hated as well. So so we see they were hated by the Jews and continually hated by the Jews. And now add to that, they were despised by the Gentiles world, the, the, the Gentile world as well. And, and this was not just personal, though it was personal. And we know that there's going to be a price to pay to come to Jesus. I mean, Jesus told us that we, we might have to give up our father. We, we might have to give up our mother and brothers and sisters. He, he said he came to bring a sword to divide people from their family and friends because that, that's what the gospel does. And I know this firsthand because almost my entire family has turned their backs on me because I follow Christ and they'll never admit it, but it's the, it's the reality. I'm the weird radical guy. No one wants anything to do with me. And I may not be experiencing what our early Christian brothers and and sisters faced or, or what my, our brothers and sisters around the world are facing, but persecution guys, it's persecution and it comes in different forms and it all hurts. And in this life, we will have to make the choice because when, when we follow the biblical Jesus and we actually obey him, you, you best believe you're going to be met with opposition. You're going to be met with persecution. But it was more than this type of opposition and persecution that our Lord was talking about here in the text from John 15. There's something much more official about what Jesus was talking about in this text. And what Jesus is talking about in this text, it began in 64 AD. It was under the emperor Nero. I mean, Christians were arrested, man. They, they were tortured. They were crucified. They were fed to wild animals. Guys, get this. They were burned alive as torches for Nero's garden parties. It was during Nero's persecution period that Paul and Peter were likely caught. And that's the time that they were killed. Peter, crucified upside down. Paul, be- beheaded. Why? They were guilty by association. They, they came in the name of Christ. And because they were loyal to Jesus, they were brutally murdered. Three decades later, in the 90s AD, as this persecution under Nero slows down, another ruler by the name of of Domitian comes in, and he launches another wave of persecution that extended beyond Rome into Asia Minor and was even more extensive than Nero's wave. Guys, just imagine anything worse than what I just said. Being fed to to wild animals, being burned alive, uh, being tortured. Dude, Domitian brought a wave of persecution that was beyond that. And that that right there is absolutely terrifying to think about. And it was in this period of persecution under Domitian that John was banished to the island of Patmos. So just look at the last 2,000 years. I mean, just, just look at the statistical facts. Roughly 70 million Christians have been killed for their faith in Christ. And that number is probably a conservative number. And the persecution has intensified as time marched on. Because over two-thirds of Christians have have been killed after the start of the the, the 20th century. Do the math, guys. Two-thirds of that 70 million started after the uh, the start of the 20th century. And guys, just understand this number is going to continue to increase as we move forward. And here's the reality, guys. All of that history that I just walked through is exactly what Jesus said in this passage I read to you from John 15. The world hates Jesus. Therefore, they hate us. And because they hate us, They will persecute us. And Jesus said all of this as he walked with the 11 to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he would be arrested, he would be beaten, he'd be imprisoned, flogged, tortured, and then hung on a cross the next day. And this all started with the hostility that that came upon Jesus and is still going on today. The world has been, is, and will always be hostile towards Christ and his true followers. It's part of the cost of discipleship. For some, it's literal death. For all, there's a measure of persecution. 
And the measure of persecution is related to how faithful you are to Jesus. Please hear what I just said. In other words, the more faithful to Christ you are, the more you will be hated, the more you will be persecuted. And Jesus is right here warning the 11 of this. And there is no stopping it. It's something the church should embrace and accept because it will never stop. Because as I just said, the more faithful that we are to Jesus, the more persecution that will come. And so if you're not feeling friction, you might want to ask yourself, how how much are you really standing out for Jesus? How how much do you really stand up for him? And, And please don't hear that I'm saying to go looking for trouble. I'm not telling you to do that. But what I'm saying is this. If you truly obey Jesus the way the Bible commands, you are going to face challenges in this life. It's inevitable. The opposition that you face for Jesus is usually a good measure of your obedience to him. Again, the more you commit your life to Jesus, the more that this is going to rub the world around you. So the question we want to answer now is, why does, why does the world hate Jesus and his church so much? Well, in our text today, Jesus gives us three reasons. And we want to look at these three reasons in, in great detail. Hey friends, did you know the mission behind Broken and Chosen? I once was lost, but Jesus found me and redeemed my life. And since he saved me, he's been teaching me who I am as his follower. I am chosen. I am part of his holy nation. I am a royal priest. I am his special possession. He called me out of darkness and into his light to be a bold proclaimer of his glory. And if you're in Christ, that's your identity too. So follow us on social media to be reminded of who you are in Christ. And subscribe to this podcast for a deep dive through God's word to learn who you are in Christ. And check out our apparel in our shop at brokenandchosen.com to wear your identity in Christ. And lastly, if Broken and Chosen is blessing you, would you do us a favor? Would you leave us a review and also tell a friend about us? Reason number one, we as followers of Christ are not part of this evil world system. Look at what John 15, 18 through 19 says. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So Jesus here states very simply why the world hates us, and it doesn't get more straightforward than this. The world hates us because we're not part of the system. We exist as a people who are unable to be sucked into the madness called this evil satanic system called the world. And because of this, we're a problem. Biblical Christians are an alien entity because we don't do what everyone else does. Therefore, we become a threat to society. We dress different. We eat different. We have different routines. We believe different. We have different traditions and different customs. Guys, we're just different, period. And this leads to persecution, all because we will not integrate. The world is hostile towards us because we don't partake. We're not part of it. The world is going a certain way and we're not going that way. The world believes certain things and we don't. The world accepts certain things and we don't. The world says certain things are right and we don't believe it. We're foreigners in a strange land and we follow another system and we do not integrate. And for that, we are a threat. We're we're considered dangerous. But when we look at this word world, we see the word cosmos, which basically means ordered system. The world is an ordered system that was created by God, but because it was contaminated by sin, it is an ordered system of evil. And the ordered system that that God created, it was corrupted by the evil one. The the ordered system uh, essentially has fallen. It fell in Genesis 3. So to say it another way, the ordered system has fallen in Genesis 3. That's where it began. And it is falling because the human race is not done falling yet. Yes, in Genesis 3, it fell, but it has been falling forever and it will until the end. And what I mean is evil will grow worse. And it will grow worse and it will grow worse until the father sends his son to make all things new. This world, this system of humanity is governed by evil. It always has been and it always will be. And because of this, it's falling deeper and deeper. I mean, the best way I can describe this this world Jesus refers to is simply this. It's evil. It's fallen. It's a fallen system of, of unregenerate people controlled by Satan, who essentially is the puppet master. 
I mean, Jesus told us in John 12 and in John 14 and John 16, Satan is the ruler of this cosmos. Jesus said it in John 8. If you are in the cosmos, if you're in this system, you're, you're of your father, the devil. Friends, there are only two kingdoms in this world. There's the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. And they don't mingle and they do not mix. Evil and good are both kingdoms that are at war for your soul. I mean, just look at what Proverbs 29, 27 says. It says it's so, so good. Listen to this. An unjust man, a wicked man, is an abomination to the righteous. But the one whose way is straight, the one who is walking in righteousness, they're an abomination to the wicked. There it is, friends. The wicked system, the wicked cosmos and its rulers, they hate righteousness. Look at what Jesus says. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. If you were part of this evil system, it would phileo you. In other words, if, if you're not in the world, you, you have a, a natural affection uh, for the system and those attached to it. I'm sorry, if you are in the world, sorry, if you are in the world, you have a natural affection for the system and those attached to it. And they would have the same affection for you. But notice what Jesus says next. But I chose you out of the world. I, I chose you out of the cosmos, out of this evil system. Look, friends, when you became a Christian, you were, you were chosen by God to come out of the cosmos. He chose you out of this evil system. And because we follow Christ, because of, of the light that's in us, we are now a living reminder to the world of their darkness and their evil. I mean, you ever notice how, as a Christian, you're, you're never invited to events where, where evil activity takes place? I mean, when evil is being done, people don't want Christians around because when the light penetrates darkness, it exposes it. I mean, does that make sense? It's like we become the conscience of the world in word and deed, in the way that we speak, in the way that we live our lives, we become the conscience of the world. We remind the world of their wickedness, not by judging them and, and standing on top of a platform and yelling at them and calling them sinners and all this. It's, our, it's the way we live. Our, our lives, the way we demonstrate our, our faith in Christ is what is an indictment on evil living. And the followers of this system, they hate us for that, man. All because we choose to live in the light. I mean, it was the Apostle Paul who said in 2 Corinthians 4, we Christians who give a manifestation of the truth, we bring the truth to life. We commend ourselves to every man's conscience. In other words, that the law of God, it's written in the heart of every person. All people, good and evil, have God's law written on their hearts. We all know there is a God. And there's no excuse. So when the followers of Christ preach truth and word and deed, that grabs that, that truth grabs their heart and it lights their conscience and it reminds them and accuses them. We who live the word of God are the conscience of the world and they hate us for it. Paul said it best in Philippians 2, 15, prove that you are blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So here we are in the kingdom of darkness and we're the lights. And what does light do? It exposes darkness. We shine on the darkness and expose it and they hate us for it. Guys, if you're following Jesus, you've literally been plucked out of the world. Jesus literally chose us for himself. He picked us out. He took us out of the kingdom of darkness. Colossians 1 tells us we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son, the kingdom of light. And the ruler of the kingdom of darkness? Uh, well, he's not happy about this. Why? Well, he hates God. He hates Christ. He hates the Holy Spirit. He hates the church. He hates believers. He hates the truth. It was Peter who said, the ruler of this kingdom, Satan, he goes around like a roaring lion seeking to devour anyone who's not of his kingdom. That's us. He wants us off the face of the planet. This kingdom hates righteousness, friends. He hates that we would go out and preach sin and preach judgment and preach hell and salvation and gospel and grace and love. He hates that we would expose the truth. And I just want to take one moment to address something. Some of you may be sitting here thinking, well, wait a minute. I, I'm not feeling that hated by the system. I don't really feel a lot of friction. Well, let me just quickly help you with this. I want you to try something. To turn to 1 John 3, 11 through 12 and hang with me. Let me show you something profound. It says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. 
And why did he murder him? Well, because his own deeds were evil and because of his brother's righteousness. So we ask the question, why did Cain do what he did? Well, why did, why did he kill Abel? Was it because of psych issues? I mean, was he mental? I mean, maybe. I mean, this is, this is how we label killers today, right? We chalk it up as that they have mental issues. I mean, you think of these kids who shoot up schools and we ask why. And usually we just write it off as a mental issue when the Bible clearly tells us why. First of all, remember, this is a spiritual war, guys. Okay, where we're not fighting against flesh and blood. The Bible's already told us that. Understand something. When people go and kill people, they're controlled by Satan. Anything that you see that's evil, they're controlled by Satan. They are puppets in the puppet master's hand. So why did Cain kill his brother? Well, sure. I mean, we look at the scripture and we know it's because he was jealous. But it wasn't just because of jealousy. It was not just because of a mental issue. It says clearly that Cain was of the evil one. His deeds were evil and his brother's deeds were righteous. And he couldn't stand it, so he killed him. So Cain's life and his thinking, it was controlled by Satan. He was evil. His deeds were evil. He was of the kingdom of darkness. Abel, on the other hand, was the righteous one. He was, he was of the kingdom of light. And just as I said, darkness and light don't mix. That's why he killed his brother. His deeds were evil and his brother's deeds were righteous. Guys, here's the reality. Anyone who hates Christianity and persecutes Christians, they're, they're of the evil one, period. And so to those of you who don't seem to be hated by the system, you, you might want to check out how much you're standing up for Christ. You want to stand out? You want to be hated for Jesus? You want to elevate some hostility in your life? Start identifying evil as evil. Start calling it out. Don't be afraid to stand for truth. But when you stand for truth, understand, when you start speaking truth out of your mouth, understand that opposition is coming. You, you are putting a target on your back. And the more you do it, the bigger the target becomes. And, and that's the issue. Most don't want to do that. They'd rather not confront it when the Bible clearly calls us to stand for the things God loves and stand for the things that God hates. Friends, God hates evil and he hates wickedness. Homosexuality is evil. Tampering with gender identity is evil. Adultery is evil. Fornication is evil. Lying is evil. Pride is evil. Self-centeredness is evil. Self-righteousness is evil. And guys, this list goes on and on and on. And when you call it out, that the ruler of this world won't like you for calling it out. And what he does is he sends persecution and, and opposition your way, partly to trip you up, partly to silence you. And when you expose it, you're a problem. You become a threat and you must be dealt with. I mean, that's why they killed John the Baptist. He, he called out Herod's evil deeds. That, that's why the religious authorities killed Jesus. He, he said their religion was evil. Jesus said their lives were whitewashed tombs polished up on the outside, but inside were evil and dead. And they killed him for it. And that's why they killed all the apostles after Jesus. You know, they came and they called out the shenanigans and they spread this message of the gospel that completely changed the world. It was about freedom from this evil system and its leader. And Satan made them pay for it. I mean, if you look at John 7, 7, Jesus says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it and that its works are evil. I mean, Jesus told the world about its evil. He, he did this in his entire ministry. And if he did, shouldn't we? And here's the deal. If we don't speak truth, guys, I'm just going to call it out. We're sinning. Period. We always speak truth in love, but truth has to be said. This system hates us because we're not part of it. And this is because the evidence of our lives in Christ rebukes and condemns the system. And by our message... We condemn what is evil. We condemn this evil system. We condemn everything about it. Its philosophies, its, its religion, ideologies, its goals, objectives, everything. And this brings what? Hostility. Hostility is coming from individuals. It's coming from government. It's coming from organized religion. It's coming from all over. I mean, look at what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.12. He said, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. He didn't say, indeed, some who desire to live a godly life. He said all. So understand the world hates us because we, we just don't belong. 
And when you live a godly life, your life is a constant reminder of the darkness and evil that people are living in who reject Christ. And that will cause one of two responses. There will be the few that will, that will come to Jesus. They'll repent. They'll, they'll turn their lives to Christ. But the majority, they're going to stay on the wide road and they're going to be hostile and they're going to come against you. Why? Well, because we reject everything about this evil culture. And again, Satan hates us. His demons hate us because we reject everything about this evil kingdom. And they're amassed against us. And that's just how it is. Reason number two, the world hated Jesus first. John 15, 18 says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Anyone who hates Christ is evil because there's nothing in Christ to be hated. There's just evil inside of those who hate him. But look at what he said. They hated him. That They hated him first. So if you and I are hated, it's because of Jesus. I mean, look at what Jesus says in John 15, 20. He says, remember the word that I've said to you. And it was Jesus said this back in Matthew 10. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, or if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And the simple point here is they're going to treat us like they treated Christ. Same Satan, same demon, same kingdom of darkness, same hatred for God and righteousness and goodness and truth. It existed then, it exists today, and it will exist tomorrow. Guys, it will exist always. They hated Jesus and they'll hate us. Friends, listen to me. Every apostle of Jesus dies really bad. I mean bad. They didn't die of old age. They didn't accidentally die. They, they were beheaded. They were crucified upside down. They, they got boiled in oil. They died poor and they were slaughtered. Why? Because they stood against the kingdom of darkness. They stood against the world system in the name of Jesus Christ and they were hated for it. I mean, it was the apostle Paul who said, I bear in my body the marks of Christ. He said this at the end of his letter to the Galatians, which by the way, was the beginning of his ministry. All the beatings, all the whippings, the stonings, all the thrashings that he received, all the marks of being in prison. Those were all wounds inflicted on Paul because Jesus wasn't there. Paul endured it because of Christ. And what Paul was simply saying here was they beat me because I come in his name. They hate me because I represent him. I'm guilty by association is what he's saying. I, mean, I recall Paul also saying in, in 1 Corinthians 4, we're slandered. We've become the scum of the world, the dregs of all things. I mean, guys, that's harsh, that's harsh language. If you're, if you're a biblical follower of Christ with any kind of backbone to stand up for him, and you, you long to be like these early disciples, you're going to be considered scum. Guys, we're going to be at the bottom of the barrel. And that's how it is. And, and we have to accept this reality. And we have to be more bold and more faithful in speaking the truth, which, as I mentioned earlier, will elevate the persecution. But it's absolutely necessary. You remember episode three of the season when Jesus described the kingdom citizen in Matthew 5? Jesus said, if you're going to be persecuted, but blessed are you when you're persecuted for my namesake. I mean, do you expect to be treated better than Jesus? If he, the perfect one, you know, God in the flesh was treated this way, how do we, the imperfect ones, expect to be treated any differently? If we are Christians that are identified with Christ, we should expect the world who is run by Satan to have exactly the same attitude toward us that they had toward him. So we shouldn't be surprised. Guys, Jesus is here telling us, expect it. It's going to be this way. They're going to hate you because you're not of this world. They're going to hate you because they hated me. And you belong to me and you preach in my name and you, you live in my name and you proclaim my name and you proclaim my truth. And they're going to hate you the same way they hated me. And remember, you're not greater than your master. So buckle up for the ride. Reason number three, the world doesn't know God. This one is the reality of, of, of really truly the source of all the hatred. And this needs to be said and understood very clearly because most people think they know God. I mean, if you ask 10 people, if they know God, I guarantee you eight out of 10 are going to say, yeah, I know God. And I hear it every day. Oh, I know God. I'm, I'm super spiritual. I'm a very religious person. Man, I have a place for God in my life. I pray to him. I talk to him. I post, you know, scripture references on my stories every day or, you know, post the verse of the day. But here's the reality, guys. In spite of all those claims, 
Jesus tells us something here in John 15, 21. He, he says, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. In other words, Jesus is saying all of this persecution and all this hatred they will have for you because of me, they do all this because they don't know the one who sent me. They don't know God. And Jesus is clearly talking about the ones who claim to know God, but wouldn't know him if he was standing in their midst. They don't know God. And so when I say this, I, I speak of, of religious people. I, I speak of people who claim the faith, but, but really are fakes in disguise who are part of this evil system. I speak of people who follow every other belief system other than biblical Christianity. Yes, there are people who think they know God, claim to follow God, but they don't. But I need to point out that it's even worse than that. Not only do they not know him, but if you scroll down a few verses to John 15, 23 through 24, Jesus says, whoever hates me, hates my father also. They have seen and hated both me and my father. And so what Jesus is ultimately saying, if you haven't believed on me, if, if you aren't following me and, and obeying my commands, if, you, if you're trying to hold hands with the world and still be in my kingdom, you don't know me and you don't know my father who sent me. I mean, Jesus here, guys, is drawing the line. And I truly believe it, it's an all or nothing situation. I truly believe there, there's no playing the middle. Either you are of his kingdom or you are of the enemy's kingdom. And again, there are only two kingdoms. So here's the condition of a lost and, and unregenerate human being in the world. They don't know God and they hate him. I mean, this is what Jesus is saying. This is tough stuff, man. But here's the eye-opening truth. What I believe is I believe the majority don't really love God. They just say they do. And why do I say this? Well, the Bible tells us how we show God we love him. If you love God, you would do what? You, you keep his commands. You, you would obey him. We would obey Jesus. Do you remember what, what the father commanded at the beginning of Jesus's ministry? When, when, when Jesus came up out of the water at his baptism, he started this whole thing off by saying, hey, this right here, Jesus, this, this is my beloved son in whom, I'm well, in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Guys, the father commanded that we listen to Jesus and we do what he says. So when Christ isn't loved, he's what? He, he's really just rejected. When, when we lack commitment to him and we knowingly live in disobedience to him, what are we doing? We ultimately reject Jesus. Guys, that, that's some hard truth. And so we need to understand that when we reject Jesus, we, we reject the Father who sent him. Guys, we also need to understand that there's a big difference between knowing God and knowing of God. If you look at Romans 1, Romans 1 says all people know God as an entity. They, they know God as a source. I mean, since the creation of the world, they could see his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature. God's existence is clearly obvious and understood through all that he has made. And so people, what the Bible says, are without excuse. All humans know there is a God. Think about this. Guys, when you, when you go into an art gallery and you see the most beautiful paintings, we only assume that those paintings were hand-painted by uh, an amazing and, and talented artist, right? You know those masterpieces didn't just paint and create themselves. Of course we wouldn't think that. It took a lot of mental commitment. It took a lot of work to produce such beautiful pieces of art. So if we assume this, we certainly wouldn't assume that the entire universe is an accident, would we? I mean, you, I mean would we really think that the entire universe created itself? Or that it happened on accident? Heck no. We know there's a God who put this all together. So I say to you, there has to be a God and every single one of us recognize it. Everyone knows he's, he exists. But here's the deal. Not everyone knows him, like really knows him. When you look at Romans 121, it states clearly, people know God. And in the Greek, it's the word gnosko, 
which means to observe and to recognize, to realize, to perceive. So it's true that all people gnosko that there has to be a source. They gnosko that there has to be a God who created all things. That, that's just rational. To, to say no one created all things is insane. Romans 1 says, all humans gnosko God. But back to John 15, when our Lord says, you do not know the one who sent me. The Greek word here used is, is the verb oida. It's a different kind of understanding. See, Jesus is speaking something entirely different here. He speaks of people who, who really know God. He, he means to know God internally, to understand God, to appreciate God, to respect and regard God with honor, to revere him. And the issue is people know by observation that God exists, but people don't honor him. That's, that's what Romans 1 says. And it goes on to say that people became darkened in their minds, futile, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools and they exchanged the truth of, of, of God for a lie. These people don't see it valuable to acknowledge him. And in turn, they become haters of God. See, there it is, guys. This is what Jesus is saying. The human race, for the most part, hates God. And why do they hate him? Because they love their sin. They love chasing their fleshly desires. They don't want to give up their desires. Look, guys, Christ came into the world to save the world. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were what? I say this all the time, evil. So what people do is hate him for drawing the line in the sand and saying, hey, come out of that. Come away from that. I got something better for you. And here's the honest truth, guys. We, we don't like to be told what's best for us. We know what's best. We, we like being God. And the saddest part is, as I mentioned, there, there are people who hate God and don't even know it. I mean, I hear people in the public all the time that speak so positive about God. I see it all over social media, people throwing up the name of God. These people don't love God. And why do I say this? Because in the very same breath, they speak evil out of the other side of their mouths. Because they reject to walk in his statutes. They, 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 they reject to walk in his commands. They, they just give Jesus lip service. And here's the reality. People claim God, but they hate his law. They claim God, but they hate his moral standards. They, they, they claim God, but they hate his scripture. They hate righteousness. They're so comfortable with sin and iniquity. And it's these same people that say, I love God and I'm a Christian and, and, I, and, and I, you know, I'm going to heaven. And really, they, they're living a life of sin and, and immorality. And they don't know God, if, you know, again, if God was standing right in their midst. Because this is insane. And if this is you, you can't say you know God or love him. And guys, you don't have to be the person who runs around rejecting God and saying you hate him. Your actions and behaviors say it all. And what most have done is create this God in their own mind that tolerates their actions and behaviors, but that's not the God of the Bible. And when the true God who confronts their sin is presented, hostility rises up. The flesh rises up. And the hatred they have toward God is then turned on the presenter of, of the message. Here's the reality, friends. We're, we're born rebels. Whether you like it or not, we're born hostile towards God. Whether you like it or not, we're born enemies of God. We're born alienated from him. And not only are we alienated from God and don't know him, but we hate him. Prior to coming to Christ, and you may love a God of your own creation who tolerates you for the way you are, but that's not, that's not the true God. And until we seek truth and, and God opens our eyes and we realize this and submit to Jesus as Lord, this is where we sit. That, that's, where, that's where people sit in that place, in prison, awaiting the death penalty. So how did the 11 disciples handle this reality? How did they take this news as they walk in the dark night to the Garden of Gethsemane? I mean, what's their response to this overwhelming news? And they're hearing from Jesus that he's going to be arrested, he's going to be murdered, and now they're hearing that the same is going to happen to them. And they're probably asking, how, how are we going to survive this? How are we going to fulfill this promise? of going out and bearing fruit and remaining for eternity. How would you feel? Well, I know I would be absolutely terrified. And so I think it's imperative that we read the last part of this passage as we close this up because it's so vital to our journey. Jesus is here telling the 11 and he's telling us, this is not the end of the plan. This is the plan. They hate me and they will hate you. Everything happened right on schedule just as I have planned. 
And I have some good news for you. John 15, 26 to 27 says, but when the helper comes, when the helper comes, when the great comforter comes, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. How will they overcome this persecution, this hatred, this fear of death? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, by the power of the Holy Spirit, these 11 apostles literally went into the world and turned the world upside down and the gospel has spread across the globe. And the Lord has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Guys, persecution comes and it will always be here. Hatred will always be here, but so will the Holy Spirit. And by his power, we will stand. We will endure. We will persevere. We will finish the mission he has set before us. And guys, here's how I conclude this episode. I want to implore you to get in the fight. I want to implore you to not only expect hatred from the world, but accept it. We are followers of Jesus and he's called us to a mission. And this mission is going to be the fight of our lives. And the biggest part of the fight is going to be moving through this world as a genuine follower of Christ. And sadly, in our culture, we've been lulled to sleep with a watered-down message of Christianity, and it's a complete lie. We've been told if we follow Jesus, we're going to be wealthy. We've been told if we follow Jesus, we're going to be healthy. And the message of Scripture and the message of Christ is not that in following him, everything's going to go right, but that Jesus is enough. He is enough no matter what happens in your life. You lose a spouse, he's enough. You lose a child, he's enough. You lose your job and you lose all your money, he is enough. You're beaten for your faith, Jesus is enough. Even if you die, he's enough. Guys, no matter what happens, Jesus is enough. Guys, that is the message of the gospel. Not that everything's going to be okay. Not, not that life is going to be easy. We have already addressed what following the biblical Jesus is going to bring us. Listen to me. Christianity has been built and has carried through the generations on the blood of man. Not on wealth. Not on health. Not on the easy paved highway. Because it would be absurd to think that based on what the scriptures say. But this is the thought process that doesn't put Christ first. It puts him somewhere else. Guys, that's not Christianity. That that is a false gospel. Jesus is enough, friends. Jesus is sufficient. He is the top. That there's nothing else to gain. That there's nothing else to get. The end, the, the goal, it's what it's all about. And, and that's Jesus. And following this Jesus is going to involve walking the hard road filled with trials and opposition. It will involve us standing against this evil system and calling it what it is. It will involve sharing with others in the hope of, of calling others out of it. This will lead to the world hating you. It will lead to rejection and opposition. So the question I leave you with is this. Is he enough? After 15 episodes, all that you've heard, all that we've discussed, all that we've learned about the character of Jesus and his expectations, is he enough for you? Will you keep going and follow him until the end, no matter what happens in this life? And see, the answer to this question is crucial because next week's final episode will challenge you. Jesus commissioned all disciples to expand the movement by taking this very message to the lost and the dying world around us. He gave the church the torch. And if we're going to stay faithful to him, all of this matters. My friends, this is all for this week's episode of Straight Talk with Selim. Come back next week as we close our journey with the final hard teaching of Jesus. Next week, we will jump into the last episode of season two of Straight Talk with Selim. What did Jesus intend for his followers when he said go in Matthew 28? What all did he command of us in his last words to the church before he ascended to the right hand of the Father? As we wrap it up with the final words of Jesus, the Great Commission. I can't believe it. Only one more episode to close this season out. So guys, come back and finish this thing strong with me. But guys, before I go, I want to I wanna continually be reminding you to ask yourself this question. What does this story of God mean to us and what does it mean for us? Who are we in light of God? Friends, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus and you're following him, the Bible proclaims the following. You are chosen. You are a royal priest. You are part of a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. 
You've been called out of darkness, called out of the grave and into his wonderful light, into a life. And now you are to be a bold proclaimer of his glory. Do you know this? Guys, are you living this? If you are, man, amazing. If you're not, that's amazing too. Because you can join the club. I'm, I'm not there. But come back next week because the point of this podcast is to walk this journey together. Guys, I'm currently learning myself. But together, we will learn our identity in Christ and we will step into it. My friends, thank you for joining me on this episode of Straight Talk with Celine. I hope our time together has helped you take a small step towards living out the fullness of who you've been called to be. If this episode encouraged and edified you, please take a moment and think of that person that needs to hear this and do me a favor and share it. Jesus has called us to be ambassadors. Let us never forget that the mission is to know Jesus and to make him known. I love you all with the love of Christ. Until next time, take care.